Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good morning. Welcome to another edition of Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer and Brenda Alacy with you for another two-hour pregame show. Your political pregame show, right, Brenda? And there's a lot of political footballs to toss around, Joe, no doubt about it. And before we go any further, happy birthday to you, my co-host. I hope you had a great birthday yesterday. It was a great birthday weekend, and what better way to top it off than with a Bills victory this afternoon? Oh, that sounds sweet to me. I'll take it. Yes, and it will also keep me alive in our uh, survivor pool. So two wins for me today. <laughs> there you go. It's well, what else matters, I guess, right? That's but right. We have uh, we have a packed show. You know what, Joe? I think we could say that almost every week these days. Uh, uh, our hardline show is a real pleasure and something that uh, we both look forward to. And you know, there's so much to talk about right now. We talk about political footballs uh, every day, and sometimes it feels like every hour. There is something uh, to talk about in the world of politics and government and uh, especially in, in the era of COVID-19. So this week, in just a moment, we'll talk with State Senator Pat Gallivan. And then later in the show, we'll talk with uh, Erie County Legislator Joseph Larigo. And then something a little bit different, the student president at Williamsville North, Cubby Menkowski, will join us. And uh, wrapping things up, Supervisor uh, for the town of Amherst, Brian Kalpa, and I will have a few words on the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So plenty to talk about, plenty to chew uh, on the uh, Sunday buffet here with Beamer and me. And to kick that off, we do have State Senator Pat Gallivan joining us. Senator Gallivan, good morning. Well, good morning to both of you, and happy birthday, Joe. Oh, thank you, Pat. <laughs> Senator, how are you? How are things going uh, in the uh, era of COVID for you? Are you getting through this pretty well? Well, we are. Um, very fortunately, my family has been healthy throughout. Uh, some of the restrictions, of course, has caused us to spend more time at home together, which really has been a good thing. And uh, as it relates to the, the Senate and state government, our office is busier than ever uh, dealing with various constituent things. Believe it or not, we're still dealing with unemployment issues, uh, dealing with many small businesses and their concerns, and you know, trying to stand up and advocate for the businesses and people 
as we try to work to return to some semblance of normalcy. You know, Senator, uh, you represent uh, District 59, and if you look at it on a map, it almost looks like a, a puzzle piece, a jigsaw puzzle. There's a lot of different borders there, um, and much of what you cover appears to be rural to me. Um, are you hearing a lot from the uh, farmers about what's happening with the uh, pandemic? I am. Uh, they, they have concerns like other businesses do. But, but you know what's interesting is that farmers, those in the agriculture community, have been dealt so many curveballs over the years. They, they go with it. I mean, they are, they are hardworking. They deal with the curves that are thrown at them, and they continue to work hard and try to get through things. But they have, um, they have many of the same concerns. Um, you know, the interesting thing is you see uh, – where some of their products go when you, you talk about the food products like dairy or crops, um, you see more and more people eating at home. So the usage at home is up, but those that are providing uh, services and, and goods to restaurants, it has hurt them. Um, but you, you see all sorts of businesses. Some businesses have done very well and some have been incredibly hurt by the pandemic. Oh, especially our restaurant and hospitality industry. Um, but we, we did want to talk to you specifically about um, a bill that you propose that you're co-sponsoring, which would allow visitation by family members and others at nursing homes and uh, residential care facilities in order to provide care and support to residents. And of course, this is uh, happening uh, as part of the pandemic as well. Uh, tell us, if you would, about how that came about. Well, it's really kind of interesting, and I'm, I'm surprised that nobody, including myself, thought of it earlier. But if we go, go back to pre-pandemic at what took place in nursing homes, uh, staffing has been a concern for a long, long time. Uh, making ends meet, uh, as far as the nursing homes uh, operating, they're operating on very thin margins, and it made it challenging. And as a result, of course, family members have always helped out in nursing homes um, to the point that uh, they, they provide the emotional, uh, the emotional care, the, the, uh, the physical care, companionship, love, I mean, th things of that nature. And they really complemented what nursing home staff was doing. Uh, so this legislation uh, actually provides, it, it codifies that a family member shall be designated to be the caregiver uh, in a nursing home for a resident, and that caregiver would then be allowed to come and go, subject, of course, to the safety rules, just like the staff is. And it would, it would help to solve so many of the problems that we see right now with the isolation, um, with the physical and mental deterioration of many of the nursing home residents, given the restrictions that are placed on visitation right now. You know, I even heard about somebody who wanted to get a job in a nursing home so it would give her access to her loved one. I mean, I think the situation is so sad, and uh, we all know what kind of uh, effect it has on a person's psyche and even, I think, physically to some degree when in total isolation or, you know, cut off from family members, especially, I think, for an older person. Uh, what did you hear, Senator, from your constituents about this? Was it something that was building as the pandemic, you know, rolled on, or did it come to a peak? What what prompted you to finally do this? Uh, it was constituents, as a matter of fact. Uh, 
constituents have been reaching out to our office. I mean, throughout throughout the pandemic, we have heard from many constituents just terrible, heartbreaking stories. You're right. It's it's sad. Uh, it's incredibly sad. The people that can't see their loved ones, uh, some of the family members who died alone in nursing homes. Uh, it's just awful. So I think the restrictions remain too strict right now, but this is one of the ways to, to try to deal with the hand that we're dealt right now and try to help solve the problem. But it came from a constituent. Um, constituents have been raising the issues about visitation. They have, many have talked to myself, my staff, about how they have cared. They helped to provide the care for their loved ones for years and years. And oftentimes, um, in some of the cases with dementia and Alzheimer's, it was the loved one is the only one uh, that those in the nursing home that might respond to. Um, so ultimately, it was a constituent who came up with this idea and asked us to try to do something about it. And and so we did. Uh, well, we did in the sense of sponsoring the legislation. Now we have to work to get it passed. And do you think that that will uh, get passed in Albany, Senator? I don't know at this point in time. Um, you have seen the, the governor operating the state by executive order. In the legislature, uh, we have gone back to session several times. There is nothing scheduled in the near future as far as I know. So a number of us are trying to put pressure on the legislative leaders to call us back to session, and then hopefully we can deal with it. I can tell you this. Many of my colleagues, uh, we've had several hearings on nursing homes and COVID's impact on nursing homes. And many of my colleagues in both the Senate and the Assembly, uh, Democrat and Republican, are very frustrated with what's going on in nursing homes. So if we get back to session, um, there's no question we'd be talking about nursing homes. And I would hope that this is a piece of legislation that could move. It does have bipartisan support. Uh, looking at the nursing homes, looking early on in nursing homes, I mean, this has obviously gotten national spotlight. Uh, where would you say the ball was dropped? Was that on the governor or was that a federal uh, thing that happened to the nursing homes? I think when all this started, most everybody uh, did not know much of anything at all about coronavirus. And clearly, mistakes have been made at the federal and the state level. Uh, but, but what I would say as it relates to nursing homes and things going on in New York State, the state legislature and the governor's responsibility has to do with state laws, regulations, and our constituents. And that's what we should be focusing on and not pointing fingers. Uh, Senator Pat Gallivan is with us. He represents the 59th Senate District in Senator, back in May, I believe it was, um, you sponsored a bipartisan bill to address state disaster emergency declarations. And um, I, I, it struck me how you're working in concert with uh, colleagues who are Democrats in the Utica-Rome area, uh, also in Waterdam, and then some Republican colleagues uh, in Elma, or excuse me, in uh, Rome as well. So this bill would, uh, if I understand correctly, would require the governor to transmit a weekly report to the legislature during an emergency declaration, and it also mandates communication between the governor and the parties affected by a suspension of laws during a state disaster emergency. 
is this, you know, I think back to my eighth grade civics class, is this something where uh, it, it harkens back to the days of checks and balances among the, the branches of government? <laughs> exactly. It, <laughs> to what our Constitution intended, uh, to have checks and balances between the three branches of government. Now, the governor has always had executive powers, so has a county executive and mayors. It's been in state law for a long, long time. The governor does have some enhanced powers uh, with the coronavirus that were uh, that were uh, passed in a piece of legislation that also provided funding to assist municipalities uh, way back at the beginning of this when when we really didn't know what was going on. But but nonetheless, uh, clearly an executive has to have extraordinary powers in times of emergency when decisions have to be made in a split second. But that has to end at some point in time. And the way that the law has always been, the emergency essentially ends when the executive says that it ends. Now, that's separate and apart from the executive orders that that the governor issues or the directives that the governor issues. There is a time limit on those directives and those executive orders of 30 days and what you see now is the governor essentially re-upping most of those directives every 30 days. But, but essentially, he has had unchecked power. The legislation also provides that the legislature can come together. Well, the, uh, this is under the emergency power legislation, not what we propose, that the legislature can come together and, uh, by a simple majority, rescind any of the governor's directives or orders. And it's hard for me to believe that every legislator agrees with all 300 plus orders of the governor. And it would be up to the legislative leaders to call us back and address it. That's the current situation. But putting that aside, what our legislation does that's proposed, it actually amends that and it provides some of the very basic things that, that you pointed out, Brenda, uh, regular reports to the legislature, regular communication with individuals and businesses who are affected by the laws and by the directors of the governor during an emergency. And it also provides that each, any emergency declaration can last for no longer than 30 days without going to the legislature to get it extended. But yes, it's, it's an attempt to try to carve out legislation. We now have seen um, the problem in the laws that deals with executive order, that it can lead to of the executive controlling everything without a check and balance. And this legislation attempts to uh, fix and fine tune the laws it relates to declarations of emergency and how we operate to ensure and, that there are checks and balances. And you certainly had support from uh, your Democrat colleagues as well, right? Was there any uh, uh, problem getting them to support this? Or I was happy to see it was a bipartisan bill. Well, I've heard frustration from legislators, uh, both in the Senate and the Assembly, uh, Democrat and Republican across the state, about some of the governor's actions and the frustration of the legislature standing by and not addressing any of the things that he's doing. Uh, but the system is such that uh, either the, only the governor or the legislative leaders can call us back to session and we haven't heard from the legislative leaders as it relates to trying to address the governor's powers, which I, I think is unfortunate and I do not think represents 
the majority of the thoughts of the majority of legislators across the state. And, and frankly, Senator, I don't think it represents uh, a lot of the feelings of people in the listening audience because there's a lot of talk about, you know, too much power and the the danger of that uh, with Governor Cuomo and anybody, frankly, who uh, wields that type of uh, autonomous power. Exactly. And I hear the same thing. You know, it's really interesting. You see uh, polling uh, both on the on the national level and on the state level and even locally that the majority of people support uh, a good majority of people support the safety precautions that are in place. But at the same time, they uh, they are opposed to the unchecked power. And I, I don't want to say are calling for, but think it's high time to go back to that system of checks and balances uh, uh, by the different branches of government intended by the Constitution. So you can have, right, you, you can have, uh, you can have the executive asserting authority with the legislature um, doing their job as far as providing that check and balance. And there's, and we can do it in a safe manner. Um, I, I don't think anybody is advocating to throw out all the safety precautions that we're following right now and go back to the way things were. I mean, coronavirus is here. We do need to take the safety precautions. Uh, but I, I think that we've demonstrated that it can be done responsibly and we should be getting back to more of a semblance of normal than we're at. Well, uh, definitely keep us updated on this legislation and, and uh, all of the other bills that are pending. Thank you so much, Senator, for taking time on a Sunday morning to join us. Okay, Brendan, Joe, thank you. Thank you, Senator. And, and Joe, I'm with you. We're rooting for the Bills for your, to cap off your birthday weekend. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine if they, <laughs> if they lose to the Dolphins, it's going to be a rough, a rough first week in this, 32, this 32nd year, let me tell you. <laughs> think positive. Right, you guys. All right, thank you. Sen- oh, State Senator Pat Gallivan joining us, Brenda. Yes, yes, and uh, really interesting legislation that he's been proposing. Glad that we could take some time to discuss it. Yes. Now, on Friday, uh, state, not state senator, um, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away at the age of 87, Brenda. Indeed, she did. And Joe, I had a couple of thoughts I wanted to share uh, with you in the audience. And um, I posted this on my Facebook page yesterday, too, because uh, it was uh, it was a jolt to hear about her passing, even though she was 87 and had battled cancer and other problems multiple times, and and no matter what your political leanings are, um, I looked at her as a woman who had just intelligence, wit, common sense, and here's this little woman, this diminutive figure who overcame anti-Semitism, gender discrimination, and yet this little woman was a giant role model, I think, for many women and many people in general, and I think she deserved the admiration and respect from those in the legal world and beyond. And her iconic, notorious moniker uh, was a well-earned pop culture salute. Her wisdom lives on and seems more relevant than ever. And you know, Joe, you and I often talk about trying to get along and not be nasty if you have different political points of view. But one of the things that really stood out for me, and it speaks to that, is a quote that she had that said, fight for the things that you care about, but do it in a way that will lead others to join you. And she, you know, I've seen numerous interviews with her when the interviewer tried to bait her into saying something nasty or or to be personally attacking somebody, and she didn't. She wouldn't take the bait. So um, 
I think RBG, you know, stands for Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but I think the R actually stands for Remarkable, too. And, and for someone who whose politics and, and policies were to the left, uh, she befriended a lot of people who were the complete opposite when it came to their politics. And I think that should set an example for everyone in this country. And not only their politics, but the way they viewed the Constitution. Um, the, of course, everybody knows the classic friendship between RBG and Antonin Scalia, who passed away a few years ago. And they could not have been more different. You know, Scalia was a very conservative jurist, but they had a love of opera and travel and wine, and they were best buddies. So uh, there was no personal animosity because they felt differently in the way they viewed the law and the Constitution. But they still, you know, had a terrific, you know, classic kind of friendship, one for the ages. For sure, Brenda. And before we go to break, uh, let's play a quick thing from ABC on Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Judicial intervention in the politics of the people may be essential in order to have effective politics. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was a legal pioneer long before she was nominated to the Supreme Court in 1993 by President Bill Clinton. I am proud to nominate for Associate Justice of the Supreme Court Judge Ruth Bader Ginsburg. At her confirmation hearing, Ginsburg addressed head-on her support of abortion rights. This is something central to a woman's life to her dignity it's a decision that she must make for herself ginsburg was the nation's second woman on the supreme court but her path was not easy she experienced discrimination upon her law school graduation in the 1950s not a law firm in the entire city of new york bid for my employment as a lawyer when I earned my degree. In 1996, Ginsburg wrote the decision that said the state-funded Virginia Military Institute could no longer exclude women, and she was the first Supreme Court justice to perform a same-sex marriage ceremony. Ginsburg was the court's eldest justice, and once joked of emulating John Paul Stevens, who retired at age 90. Aaron Katursky, ABC News. And Brenda, with her passing, I mean, obviously losing someone who was an icon in the Supreme Court, but now comes the talk of her replacement. Uh, I'm sure that is something we'll talk about all week, and you and I will definitely be talking about next Sunday. Yes, President Trump said last night uh, at a rally that he intends to replace uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg with a woman on the court. So uh, there's a lot of talk about whether uh, Republican senators will allow that to happen in terms of having it done before the election uh, because they brought up about Merrick Garland being blocked when uh, President Obama tried to put his nomination forth uh, back in 2016. So, uh, Joe, the plot thickens, and it'll definitely be something to talk about for the next several weeks. And it's very interesting, right, because Republicans who in 2016 said, let the election decide, are the same ones who are now saying we're going to go ahead. And in 2016, the one the Democrats who said, no, we're going to put someone in the Supreme Court, are the ones that are saying, let's wait till the election. It's funny how... The same situation gets different results when the parties don't align. Or, or when one party is in control and another isn't. So, yeah, absolutely. Love to get your thoughts on that, too. 803-0930. Our text board is open, 716-803-0930. And after news, we are talking with Joe Larigo here on Hardline. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. 
Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. And welcome back to Hardline on this beautiful Sunday morning. Definitely a little fall nip in the air. And I hope you get a chance to get out and enjoy the sunshine, though. Joe Beamer and I are here hosting Hardline for yet another Sunday. And joining us on the line is Erie County Legislator Joe Larigo. Good morning, County Legislator. How are you? Good, Brenda. How are you? Doing well, thanks. Getting excited for the Bills game, of course. Any predictions? Well, I see uh, the Bills are going to win today, just like last I like it. <laughs> I like it. I'm a little worried about those linebackers being out, but that's uh, a story for another time, I suppose. We'll keep our optimism high here. I'm um, Sean McDermott. Yes. Uh, good of you to join us, and I know that... Um, there's been some talk just recently about some legislation uh, that you are looking to propose. You have a resolution about looking to allocate a million dollars in the county's remaining CARES Act fund to help restaurants expand outdoor dining space. And though that money could be used for things like heaters, tents, other types of enclosures, or to offset labor costs, which are always uh, significant in the in the hospitality industry, what prompted you to uh, to put forth this legislation? Well, you know the weather is obviously getting colder. Uh, you know we live in Western New York, and uh, it doesn't stay warm forever. And you know the restaurant industry is dealing with these 50% capacity restrictions that don't seem to be going away anytime soon. So they're trying to you know expand their their outdoor dining and we felt that they could use some help. You know, the CARES Act funding can be used for these types of things. Erie County was given $160 million. We have about $30 million of it left. And if we don't use it by the end of the year, it goes back to the federal government. Um, you know, in addition to the $1 million uh, grant for outdoor dining, we also have a proposal to give $22 million as grants to small businesses to help them stay afloat. So, you know, we're trying to do everything we can to help out local businesses weather the storm. Can you explain what the CARES Act is uh, in, more, in more detail? So the CARES Act was the, the federal relief package passed by uh, you know, the United States Congress at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, at that point, uh, they gave Erie, you know, the federal government gave Erie County $160 million to be used um, for direct coronavirus-related uh, you know, among other things, including you know, purchasing of PPE, uh, taking care of the direct, um, you know, fight in, in you know, the effort to fight the disease. But also in the legislation, uh, it allows for uh, grants to small businesses to help them stay afloat and things like that. And that's what we're looking to do. Now, Joe, say I'm a restaurant, okay? I've already started to put those, uh, to buy that equipment to have outdoor dining, even once the weather gets colder. Um can I still apply for money to get that money back, or does it have to be something that hasn't been started yet? No, you would, if you were a restaurant that's already started that or has already done that, you could apply to get a grant that would cover your expenses already. 
Um, you know, that was something that we thought about when we were drafting it. And uh, I said, you know, we have to make sure that we have that in there because I know that there are many restaurants that have already spent money on this because they're looking for every ounce of revenue they can get. And for them, especially money's tight. So if they've, if they've spent that money already and they can prove that it was done you know, as a result of the coronavirus, then they would be eligible to apply as well. Uh, and further complicating this, Joe, is the fact that restaurants have to comply with the 50% capacity limit, right? Right. So the 50% capacity limit, you know, applies for indoors. So people have taken, you know, to the streets to sort of uh, expand their offerings. And, you know, it's getting colder. I was actually out to, to dinner last night and waiting outside before I could get into my, my indoor reservation. And it was cold. So, uh, you know, we need to do whatever we can to help these people so that they can uh, expand their dining offerings. You know, I had that same experience Friday night. We were uh, in North Buffalo and had planned to sit outside, but it was windy and it was colder than we anticipated. And we were lucky enough to get in socially distanced inside the restaurant. Um, but, it, yeah, it's a real concern at this point. What has the result or excuse me, what has the response been from uh, folks in the restaurant community? You know, I hear from someone in the restaurant com community pretty much every day. And with this one in particular, uh, I've gotten more calls, more emails, more, you know, notes of support or questions about how they can apply, because this is something that, you know, is tangible, that they can, you know, directly access that will help them immediately. And this isn't uh, a loan. This isn't, you know, applying for a grant that they're not sure what they're going to use the money for. This is, hey, you know, if we can get some money to put something out there or help pay for our exterior dining expenses, we want it. Um, you know, when, when it was announced on Thursday, I mean, I've heard from probably 10 different restaurant owners, you know, in two days. So it was, uh, it's, it seems like there's, there's a need for it, there's a desire for it, and there's a lot of support in the community. It, this is one of those things, too, where you'd have to get something done almost immediately because the weather is not going to, you know, turn back into 80 degrees anytime soon. So do you know, are there any um, delays or shortages if a restaurant wanted to get heaters or enclosures, anything like that? Do you have any idea how accessible those items are? Yeah, I'm, that I'm not sure of. You know, I, I haven't looked into it, but, you know, I'm hopeful that we can get the grant uh, passed next week, Thursday, uh, with full support of the legislature and start to get the money into these restaurant owners' hands because, like you said, the weather's not going back to 80 degrees anytime soon. Um, it's getting colder at night. It's getting colder during the day. And, you know, while I love fall, and I know most people around here do, the restaurants, they, they need to be able to have outdoor dining if they can't bring 100% capacity inside. Joe, it must really um, stand out to you. You know, you, you work downtown, obviously, and have a, a district office. But does it feel almost eerie when you're walking around downtown Buffalo and so many things are shuttered when it would just be thriving during the day in the business district? Uh, it, it is. You know, it, it, it's strange going down there. It's strange. You know, I'm also a lawyer and going into the courts and seeing how, you know, how bare those places are. It's, uh, it's very strange. Uh, I think we're starting to get a little bit back to normal and seeing more people out and about. But, you know, we're, we're six months into this now, and I think people are itching to – you know, to see some sense of normalcy. 
Joe, a question from our text board. You're mentioning the uh, the restaurants, and we, we know that's needed. We saw a uh, survey where 60% of restaurants in this state said if there wasn't any kind of help, uh, that they would have to close their doors halfway through winter. Uh, but also looking at small gyms, uh, small fitness centers that were definitely uh, hit by this from March until August and now are only running at 33%. Is there any way small gyms can reach out for uh, money to help them through this? Uh, the, the gyms would fall under the $22 million small business uh, relief grant program that we're trying to get passed as well. Uh, I, I know the county executive had uh, indicated that he's willing to work with us on that. We need to get that done you know, as soon as possible as far as I'm concerned because whether they're gyms, restaurants, other small businesses, people need help. No question about it. Joe, and, and that $22 million is part of the CARES Act funding. Um, but is it, do you do grants of a specific amount that would be available to businesses that have a certain revenue? Yeah, in the, in the small business grant program, the way we had initially drafted it, but we're still tweaking it with the, the administration, it was grants of anywhere between $5,000 and $20,000 per business. So, uh, you know, depending on need, depending on, um, you know, how it w- they would be scored by an outside agency, those were the uh, amounts that they could be eligible for. Well, that should be of, of great help to a lot of different businesses, and that would be for any type of business, correct? Correct. It, it would encompass you know any type of small business, uh, nonprofit organization, community group. Um, those are the things that we envision for that. Uh, as long as their uh, three-year average revenue is below $7.5 million, they would qualify. We're talking with Erie County Legislator Joseph Larigo. And, uh, Joe, we were talking with Pat Gallivan in the last uh, segment, and he was talking about a bill uh, trying to control executive power. And there's a lot of talk that, you know, Governor Cuomo is overstepping his bounds. Uh, You know, and and a statewide look, uh, you know, you're in the middle of politics. You're a conservative. I imagine you probably agree with Gallivan on that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, You know, the fact that the state legislature hasn't gotten back to work to take the power back for the people is outrageous to me. You know, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, I don't think there's any way that you can argue that, you know, the governor should be allowed this much power for this long a time. Uh, you know, within the first couple of weeks, I, I saw a news story that he had already changed 270-something laws. God only knows what the number is up to the, at this point. And he's basically doing it on his whim completely arbitrarily. And, you know, I've been calling for it for months. But the state legislature needs to get back to the table and strip the governor of these powers and say, we need to have a voice. The people of New York deserve a voice in their government, and it's been taken away, and there's uh, there's no changing for it. Joe, what are your thoughts on the limitations? Do you think there is a safe way that we could have, we could increase capacities, especially here in Erie County? You know, I'm not a medical expert, and I don't you know, pretend to be, but I believe that there has to be a safer way to start increasing capacity limits in restaurants and other businesses and getting things moving. Um, you know, something needs to be done, but the people need a seat at the table. Right now, it's like I said, it's Andrew Cuomo making all the decisions, and you know, we're just waiting without any real guidance on how things are supposed to happen. You know, we hear about the lack of bipartisanship in, in Albany at times. Uh, during COVID, how locally in the county have the parties been working together? Well, you know, I, I'd love to say that uh, that everybody's working together well and things are, are going smoothly. But the fact of the matter is that hasn't been the case. 
you know, at the beginning, you know, when this all started in March of this year, we all said, you know, let's be on the same page. We'll, we'll work together. We're all in this together. And, you know, since then, uh, the county executive has been announcing huge spending initiatives without discussing them with the legislature uh, on either side of the aisle, you know, and that's problematic because the legislature is the fiscal house of county government. We're the ones that are supposed to have, you know, say in votes on spending. And I feel that, uh, you know, this executive power grab that's gone on from the top down is really problematic, not only right now, but for the precedent that it sets in the future. We need to have a seat at the table. You know, the legislators are the ones who are, you know, elected directly from their constituents and, you know, our legislative districts. We need to have a seat at the table and we need to have a say in what goes on with the taxpayer money. Uh, I know that Mark Polonkaris was willing to work with you on the small business relief grant program. Uh, how often do you talk to him and, and do you have any kind of regular communication with Polonkaris or his office? The county executive and I have not spoken in several, several months. Um, you know, I've, I've done my best to, you know, show that I'm willing to work with him when, uh, when we can. And I think that, you know, given the fact that he has a, a democratically controlled county legislature. Um, he's not interested in working across the aisle, unfortunately. Um, I know he's busy. I know that there's a lot going on. But um, you know, every time I've reached out, there has not been much cooperation. You know, they can't be good for Erie County residents to hear this. Uh, you're obviously you're in the minority, Joe, on the legislature. But again, it comes back to that open line of communication. Uh, what could be done? I mean, is there anything that can be done to, to open those lines of communication and, and to work more collaborative, collaboratively, especially in this uh, era of COVID-19? You know, I think it's a problem that exists from the ground up and from the top down. You know, we live in a world where, you know, politics and government has become more of a sport than it has become you know, public service. And when you have people that, you know, only identify themselves based on the political party that, that they're enrolled in, this is what happens. And the county executive is as political as anyone I've ever seen. And I think that, unfortunately, all too often creeps into his government work. I try and leave those things at the door. Um, I give credit where credit is due, and I, you know, ask questions when questions need to be asked, regardless of, you know, what political party the person is enrolled in, whether it's the county sheriff, the county controller, the district attorney, or the county executive, or the county clerk, for that matter. You know, I do my job based on, you know, my beliefs and the people that I represent. I don't do it based on what political party someone's on. What's your view about uh, kids' remote learning? Uh, I know you've tweeted out something recently about uh, access to broadband. Uh, you know, remote learning is a struggle. I, I'm fortunate that uh, my son, uh, Charlie, who is, I know, listening right now, uh, he gets to go to school every day, you know, and I'm very happy for that. Uh, he's in first grade. And I know, you know, from my, my nieces and nephews, they're doing remote or they're doing hybrid. And it's tough. And from other people that I've talked to, there is a huge, huge disadvantage with the remote learning, and especially in you know, areas that I represent that don't have access to broadband. Uh, you know, the governor likes to claim that 98% of New York has access to broadband, but that simply is not true. Um, you know, out in the town of Wales, the town of Colden, Marilla, Holland, areas that I represent, those people don't have the same access to broadband as, as I do in West Seneca or as, you know, you might in Amherst. And, you know, in this era of COVID-19, where so much schooling is happening online, 
people need that access, and we need to do everything that we can to ensure that that happens. So it's it's well, a well, how do you get more broadband then? I mean, especially now when funds are so limited. Well, you know, you need a public-private partnership. You know, I mean, it's a it's a buzzword in government and politics, but it's what is truly necessary. You know, you need to have private organizations willing to invest the money to bring the infrastructure out to those areas. And I don't know how you can force that, um, but something needs to be done. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure you know, what the governor's plan is of sticking his head in the sand and saying that 98 percent of the state has access to it. But that's not enough. Well, of course, and how could it be when you have so many rural areas of, uh, you know, around our beautiful state <laughs> to assume that 98 percent have it, I think, is, is really unrealistic on his part. Um, Joe, just to switch gears for a moment, you mentioned you're an attorney and uh, a legislator, of course. Um, what was your view of Ruth Bader Ginsburg? And, and her, also, I'd be curious of uh, your opinion of her relationship with a very conservative jurist, her, one of her best buddies, uh, Judge Antonin Scalia, who, who predeceased her. You know, there's no question that uh, the country lost a giant in the legal community and someone who, whose entire life was dedicated to public service. Uh, she will be missed on the court. She'll be missed, uh, you know, by the country as a whole. Uh, her relationship with uh, Justice Scalia is, you know, one for the ages, obviously. And it just goes to show that there, you know, even in this, this era, you know, not too far long ago, um, people who have completely opposite polar opinions on politics uh, can be friends and can get along. And I think that's the model that we all need to take. We need to look at that relationship or, you know, for that matter, the relationship of George W. Bush and Michelle Obama and see that, you know, at the end of the day, we're all on the same team. You know, we might have different beliefs. We might have different opinions, but we're all Americans. We're all human beings. And, you know, that's what matters. And, you know, while uh, Justice Ginsburg was, as I said, a powerhouse in the, the legal community and for the country, um, you know, I, I hope that her passing doesn't become a further excuse for people to be divided. Um, that I, I don't think I don't think that benefits anybody. And, I, you know, I didn't know her, but I don't believe that that's something that she would have wanted either. Erie County Legislator Joe Larigo. Joe, thank you so much for joining us this Sunday. We'll talk soon. My pleasure. All right. Erie County Legislator Joe Larigo coming up next, Cubby Minkowski to talk about what we saw at Williamsville this past week and what we may see in the future as they are still, grades 5 to 12, going full virtual. And then Amherst Supervisor Brian Culpa at 11.30. Another packed hour after the news here on Hardline. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.